We all want to be part of something bigger than ourselves, something that both started before us and reaches beyond us. This summer, we look to the entire Bible to see God's mission in the world and how He calls His people to join Him in it. As we as a church look to beginning a new congregation, we turn towards the scriptures to see how God moves us out on mission. Join us this summer for a missional conversation. The rest of you, uh, open your Bibles, if you have one with you, to the book of Genesis. It's the first book in the Bible. While you're doing that, um, because about, I don't know... 40% of you were here when I did our our announcements earlier. Let me just kind of say this. Um, You heard uh, a couple of people prayed for our Holy Cross Kids friendship event that's coming up in August. There's a prayer time for that today. If you have kids in kind of the age bracket of our Holy Cross Kids ministry, our children's ministry, which does extend from, you know, uh, pre-K all the way through um, middle school, even to some extent into high school, we would love to have you and your children there. To, we're going to be meeting here to, to kind of pray. I'm sure Betsy will take everybody somewhere else, but we're going to be meeting here. Um, so if you have time this afternoon, can come to that. It would be awesome. We want the Lord to move mightily in that. I mentioned earlier that we are starting a new series. Here, here at Holy Cross, we believe that the Bible is a story. I know that most of us kind of grew up thinking it's it's basically just a, a rule book or something similar to that, or even maybe a book of heroes, like it's this book that has a bunch of lives that you're supposed to emulate in it. Um, if you actually read the book closely, you don't want to emulate many of those lives. Like there's maybe one life you want to emulate, the rest of them, train wrecks, don't do it, okay? Um, but, but we think the Bible's a story, it's God's story, it's the true story of the world. And one of the stories, that, or the, one of the themes that runs its way through the Bible is how God is on mission to reclaim his broken world. But not just is God doing that. The, the actual theme is that God is inviting us, inviting his people to come along with him, to be with him where he is, and where he is is on mission, on mission in the world. And so we're going to be taking this summer to look over the entire Bible. Um, and by that, I don't mean like Literally, we're going to be reading the whole thing, because that would take a lot longer in the summer. But piece by piece, little section by little section, to see how this theme traces its way through the whole Bible of God sending his people out, going with them, extending his kingdom, multiplying disciples, multiplying churches, um, and all over the world. And that's why we're calling this series Missional Conversations. We're going to be looking at what the Bible has to say about mission, about our mission as Christians in the world. Okay? This week, we turn to the beginning of that, to this random dude in a random city. And we see, what we're going to see is how when we meet with God, we actually meet with God, really meet with Him, we are sent beyond ourselves. And how God's promise goes before us. So if you have your place, we're in Genesis chapter 12. If you'd stand, that's our habit here, in honor of the Word. We're in Genesis 12, we're going to be reading the first three verses. Just the first three. Really short. Here it is. This is God's word to us. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you. And I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, in you, all the families 
of the earth shall be blessed. This is God's word. Would you pray with me? Father, as we come into this time, we just ask your blessing on it. Would you open our hearts to to receive you, our ears to hear you, our eyes to see you? Because we are slow of heart, our eyes are dim, and our ears uh, struggle to listen. We're coming into this place with distractions, with things that we're thinking about for later today, uh, maybe things that stories of our week that have been terrible and they're just hard for us to bear, we need you to meet with us, to come and to meet us right where we are and to bring your gospel to bear on our lives. I pray you would let what Jesus has done and who he is come to the fore of this time and let everything else fall to the wayside. Because Jesus, you alone hold the words of eternal life. And so we, we ask you to speak for your servants who are listening. And we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Have a seat. So every, um, every great epic, every massive story begins seemingly, and I've read a few, they seem to begin with rather insignificant beginnings, right? So um, I'm a Tolkien nerd, unapologetic about that. But uh, his great epic... Um, that's, that's best known, began uh, when, in, in, in the book The Hobbit, um, when an old man visited a rather insignificant hobbit for tea. What he didn't know, the hobbit that is, is that later he would have 12 other guests and they would make a mess of his house. But uh, it was this rather boring guy named Bilbo who didn't know that he was about to get caught up in world-changing events. This seems to be the way epics work, right? That's what's going on in our passage this morning. This rather insignificant guy from an insignificant city is suddenly being caught up in something crazy. God's reclamation of the world. Now here's the crazy thing about this. This isn't just about Abraham, or whose name is at this point in the story is Abram. This isn't just about Abram. It is a pattern that we see repeated over and over and over again in the scriptures. And it's lived out in us today. What we see here in these promises set the stage for what it means, what it means to be part of God's people. So this morning, we're actually looking at this passage in two ways. It may be striking to some of you. There are only two ways, but we're going to look at two ways. We're going to look at the call to go, and then we're going to look at the promise to bless. Okay? And that's, in your, that's in your bulletins. There's an outline there if that's helpful. If not, just leave it. The call to go and the promise to bless. So let's begin with the call to go. Let me catch this up real quickly, because some of us in this room are not familiar with the story up to this point. So in the first 11 chapters of the Bible, what we see is God making the world, creating all that there is and everything that's in it. And he, he creates, he calls it good, and it is good. And then we, humans, uh, we were made for him. We were made to love him with all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our soul, all of our strength. We were made for a, a dependent relationship with him. But in time, we betray God because we became convinced of a lie. The lie that God doesn't love us that he's not out for our good, that he's actually holding us back. We came to believe that instead of being in a dependent relationship with him, that we, we actually can and must be independent from him. All by eating a piece of fruit. Think about that for a minute. Like, really? You eat a piece of fruit and you can become like God. You can be God by eating a piece of fruit. If it were only that easy, right? No, that doesn't, that doesn't work that way. So when we betray him, everything goes bad. We become guilty before God. That makes sense. All betrayals bring guilt. We know that, right? Because you've been betrayed and you've done the betraying. We know that that happens. Uh, humanity becomes stuck in our independence from God. 
That's what the Bible calls brokenness or a state that it calls sin. Not just what we do, but who we are. And, and we become alienated from God. But right there at the beginning, God makes a promise he's going to make all things right. That he's going to actually work out to reclaim us for himself to make all things right again. And here in chapter 12 of Genesis is the beginning of that plan to make things right. So up until this point, here's what we know of this dude named Abram, who will later be called Abraham. Nothing. Okay, we don't know anything about him. Uh, He's so prominent in the biblical story, we know very little. We know who his daddy is. And, uh, and we know where, where he's from. He lives in a town called Ur. It's a very creative city naming right there. Ur. It's like, what do you want to name your city? Ur. Yeah, that's it. Man, ancient Near East, crazy place, okay? Uh, and, and so the other thing we know about him, or we can at least imply, is that he's probably like everybody else in Ur. He's wa- worshiping false gods. Until all of a sudden... God comes on the scene. God appears to Abraham. Okay. Now, as an aside, what, what, what we see here with Abram being a, 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 a false God worshiper and God suddenly appearing to him and calling him to himself, that's nothing new in Scripture. Like That's something we see over and over and over again. That's actually God's normal way of being. The Bible is clear that none of us are looking for God. That he is, in fact, the one who comes to us. He initiates with us. He breaks into our lives. And so if you're here this morning and you would describe yourself, maybe not as a Christian, but you're a seeker. Can I, can I tell you something encouraging? You are seeking because God is already at work in your life. You're here this morning because God is already at work. And that may weird you out a little bit. I'm sorry. It's just true. God is already at work. So God shows up. He engages with Abram. Now let's look at what he says. Look at verse one. He says first, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house. Now, that's pretty crazy, but, but crazier is that he actually did it. <laughs> you know, it's one thing to say, you, to have some kind of experience where you think God's showing up and telling you to go do something. But I mean, how, must, how amazing must the experience of God have been for him to actually go about doing this? And I know that if you're like in your 20s in this room, you're thinking, this sounds great. This is like packing up and moving to Europe. Um, it, wouldn't that be awesome? But that's because we don't really understand a lot of these phrases that are used. Um, You see, to leave your kindred, your nation, your father's house, to leave all these things, is to leave everything. The word actually in the the original, in the Hebrew, means to dissociate, to break off from those things, to stop being identified with your father's house. In other words, the group of people that if if the stuff hit the fan, those are the folks who can come to your aid. And in the ancient Near East, like in the ancient world, the stuff hitting the fan wasn't like, Oops, I, I, I overdrew my checking account this month. It's like raiders are on their way with swords to kill you and take all your stuff. So leave all that behind. Leave your nation, leave your country, which means leave your primary source of income. Leave all of these things and come with me. Look, here's what we know about Abram and what we find out as things go on. He was wealthy. And his family was probably fairly prominent in Ur. Okay? So God is asking him to leave, to dissociate with all of that stuff and to follow him. No longer is Abram to be of those things. Instead, he is to be with God. Okay? And the end of that verse helps us understand why he would do this, right? God says, leave all this. And then he says, to go to the land that I will show you. 
Now, given our day and our way of reading our own context into others, we're probably, like, what we have in our heads is some version of God kind of texting uh, Abram with a link to a Google map saying, go here, right? But remember, in the ancient world, that's not the case. So if, if Abram is, if God is actually going to show Abram where to go, that means that God himself will be with him as he's going, right? You, if, if someone comes to you and is like, hey, let me, let me go show you where I live, and they stand there and go, well, well go on. And you start walking. I'll show it to you. Like, how are you going to show it to me? Oh, right. Yeah, okay. Well, look, come with me. Like, that's the whole point. Abram has to go with God. God has to go with him. And now we get to begin, now we get to see why Abe, Abe would do this, right? God wasn't just, like, sending on some quest, right? He's not, have fun storming the castle. Like, that's not what he's doing. God is actually going with him. He's saying, come with me. Leave all that stuff behind. Come with me. And now it changes things, right? The implications of that are huge. Because for one, this means God is actually moving into Abram's life to be a part of it. He's not just kind of going, all right, get away from all that stuff. All right, good. Now you're good. Go, go be alone. No, he's saying, I'm going to come and be a part of your life. He isn't some dictator commanding from on high. He's calling Abram to come be with him. Second, though, is the implication that God is doing something with Abram. Remember what I said a few seconds ago. The Bible is really clear um, that when we betrayed God, we turned away from him. We were alienated from him. That there is now something that separates us from God. And the Bible calls that our sin. It's our brokenness. It's our, our betrayal of him. Our independence. And it also teaches, the Bible also teaches that since our problem is independence, this only makes sense, that there's nothing that we can do to fix it, Right? Because you can't fix your independence by yourself. That's just making more independence. And so if God is calling Abram to come be with him, it's because he's actually dealing with that gap, that thing that's separating them. He's dealing with his sin. The call to follow God is by its nature a call to forgiveness. It's a call to reconciliation. And this is huge, so we need to get this. Remember what I said, by nature, not by our nurture, not by what we learned from good parenting or bad parenting, are we, are we separate from God. That's by our nature. That's who we are, not just what we do. We are distant from God, and we all feel that, right? That's why you and I have these hungers that we can't seem to fill. We have these things that we're like, I have to have more of this. I need some of this. I ne-, and it never seems to work. It's why, we, it's why some of us always feel like there's a party going on that we haven't been invited to. Right? And some of y'all are smiling. I know why you're smiling. Because that is like one of the chief problems in this church. Can I be, can I be honest with you? Uh, God has gathered together a group of people who all feel like there's a party going on. And they're not invited. Everyone else is invited to their own parties, apparently. They're all throwing their own parties. And no one's been invited to any of them. But we always feel like there's a party going on. We're not the ones invited. We're, we're convinced that there may be a particular relationship. Friend, boyfriend, girlfriend, spouse... Uh, maybe the ideal parental relationship, the ideal children. We're f- there's some relationship that's going to fill us, and it never does. We all still end up feeling lonely. We are hungering, friends, for God. But what we want to fill that hunger with is anything but God. And so here's God moving towards Abram. Abram was, the day before this, worshiping false gods. Right? He's not on his way to Yahweh. 
not on his way to the God of the Bible. Day before, false gods, God shows up and says, hey, come play with me now. Come on, you're coming with me. And Abram goes. Now, that sounds way crazy. So let me speak to a common call because we can be fooled into thinking this is kind of some, some kind of special event. And it is. Look, look, if we're being honest, this is an epic-making relationship that God is doing here. This is not a small thing. God is moving in the life of the person who would one day become the ancestor, or is going to become the ancestor of the Lord Jesus Christ. So this is not like everyday dude. However, what we see is this being played out as a pattern over and over in the Bible. When we see people encounter God, and I mean really encounter God. Not just like, yeah, I went to Sunday school one day and, or somebody just kept playing just as I am and I felt like, man, all right, I'll do whatever it takes to get him to shut up. And I just got up and walked down the aisle. I'm talking about a real encounter with God. When we really encounter him, we are sent out. We see this here with Abraham. We see it with Moses, right? Some of you remember the story of Moses? Moses is a murderer, Okay. He just killed a dude in Egypt, and he ran away because he was afraid of getting caught. So he ran away, and he's been, he's been chilling with the sheep for about 40 years um, he, as a shepherd. And so he's just hanging out with them, doing his thing, and all of a sudden he sees a burning bush that's burning, but it's not burning up. And he encounters the living God. And as soon as he encounters the living God, God says, now you're going to go to Pharaoh. We see it in Isaiah, the prophet. In, in Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah is in the middle of worship. Uh, he's in, in, like in, a, like in a service like this, in the middle of temple worship. And all of a sudden, it's like the heavens are rent open, and he can see some of God. He can see the train of his robe. But apparently seeing that much of God is enough to show who God is, who he is. He's suddenly convicted by his sin. God deals with his sin, and now he says, now go. Go and talk to people about me. And we see in the New Testament, we see it with Matthew, he's just minding his own business. He's sitting at his little tax table, taking his money in. Jesus walks by, looks at him and says, dude, come with me. Follow me. He goes, okay, sure. Leaves all the money on the table, gets up and starts walking. Imagine that for a minute. Profitable small business, right? Profitable, very profitable. Just leaves all the money and says, all right, I'm with you now. We see it in Peter. Peter, uh, the apostle, who, who is, um, he's a fisherman, knows a lot about fishing, been fishing his whole life, and then a carpenter shows up and starts telling him how to fish. Most of you wouldn't listen to that, but Peter's like, all right, whatever. So Jesus, he hadn't caught anything all night. Jesus is like, go, go throw your net out here. And he's like, dude, I haven't caught anything. Everyone knows you don't catch things in the middle of the morning. But okay. He throws his net in. He's got so much so many fish, it starts sinking his boat, sinking his partner's boat. He looks to Jesus, suddenly realizes who it is that he's looking at. says, away from me. I'm a sinful man. And Jesus says, no, 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 don't be afraid. From now on, you're not just going to be catching fish. I'm sending you to catch people. And then there's the Apostle Paul. Literally on his way to drag Christians off to jail, possibly to kill them, depending on how much they resist, And from his history, we know that he was kind of hoping they'd resist. And so he's on his way there, and Jesus, the risen Christ, literally appears to him and then says to him, not only are you going to now be one of mine, now you're going to go for me into the Roman world. And you're going to testify before kings, which he does multiple times. This is not a random episode. 
When we have an encounter with God by his grace, drawn back into relationship with him, we are sent out into the world. Look, we tend to think, do we not? Especially if, look, if this is your first time in, a, in, in church in a long time, just hold off a second because this will hopefully make sense. But if you've been in, in an evangelical church a long time, we have this phrase that we use, right? Missionary. And we believe that missionaries are those, they're super Christians, number one. They're like, who would ever do that? And then what they do is they go and they go off to some other part of the world, preferably somewhere hard. And they go off to some other part of the world and then they, they share Jesus with people there. But, and, and they are missionaries, by the way. I'm not doubting that. However, the Bible says that every person who, is, who comes to know Christ is sent into the world. Jesus says, as the Father sent me, I send you. Which means that every Christian, if you call yourself a Christian this morning, you are a sent person. You are a missionary. You may not be in the 1040 window. If you don't know what that is, don't worry about it. However, this is a hard part of the world to share Jesus in. But you are a missionary. You have been sent. Every Christian is a missionary. So that's the call. Now let's look at the promise. First looking at the power of that. Look at it on verse 2. God says, And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing let me break this down a bit. God called, has called Abraham to go. He says, go, go. Just get out. Get out of Ur. Get out of where you are. Now go. And then he lays out this series of promises. But notice what he doesn't say. God doesn't say, go and make yourself into a great nation. Go and make your own name really great. And after you've done all that great stuff, I'll bless you. He doesn't say that. Now, that's the way we'd normally think about it. But that's not the way it works. And you see, the reason for that is because Abraham couldn't. Like, seriously. Like, he couldn't. Dude was like 75 when this happened. He hadn't had any kids up to this point. His wife hadn't had any kids. And I, I know y'all have been in biology class, right? At that age, that ain't happening again. And so, literally, I'm pretty sure that if you're going to be a great nation, you have to have at least one kid. Right? At least. Kind of hard to be a nation, but it's just you. So he's, he's got to at least have that, and he can't. God says in, this, in these verses, he says, I will. Five times. Five times he says, I will. In three verses. I will do this, and I will do this, and I will do this. I'll do this again, and then I'm going to do this over here. And what he says he will do is deeply meaningful. See, when he says, uh, I'm going to make of you a great nation... Uh, I'm going to make your name great. That, that, that thing, name great, is like, okay, that means make you famous. Uh, but what is particularly poignant about that is the, very, the, the previous chapter in Genesis, Genesis chapter 11, um, is about this little story called the Tower of Babel, right? Uh, it, it's about people who want to show that they can live independent of God. They don't need God to be great. And what they literally say is, let us go make a name for ourselves. Let's go show God that we can do life without him. And, and of course, that, that fails, right? Some of you know that story. So they want to make a name for themselves. God shows up into the, random, in the life of this random dude named Abram, and he says, I'm going to make a name for you. I'm going to provide the blessing. I'm even going to make a nation where there's only barrenness. 
All of these promises are bound up in what God will do. What God will do. And this is pretty important. Uh, and, and we need to get this because it's the heart of Christianity. It's the heart of Christianity. It's the heart of what we call the gospel. God is a God of grace. God acts on our behalf. Right? He acts on our behalf. And if you keep reading, what you're going to find out about this dude named Abram, who will later be called Abraham, is that he is a colossal failure. Colossal failure. Like, the, like later in this very chapter, if you keep reading down to verse 10, what you're going to find out is Abram goes with his wife, it's going to be called Sarah, and he goes with them to Egypt. And he gets so afraid that somebody's going to see how pretty she is, that they're going to kill him and take her, that he's like, hmm... Here's what we're going to do. We're going to tell everybody you're my sister. Which, by the way, doesn't save her at all. Right? Because they're still going to take her. They're just going to leave him alive. Bang up dude. Like, that dude is awesome. Like I said, if you're looking for heroes, there's only one in the Bible. His name is Jesus. Okay? Abram is a colossal failure. Just... Like us. If relationship with God, even this mission that God gives Abram to do, were based on what he can do, it would fail. But that's why Jesus came. Jesus came to do for us what we couldn't do and would dare not to. Okay? In Jesus, God came to deal with our sin by living perfectly, perfectly dependent on God like we can't. And now you're thinking, good for him. What does that have to do with me? Well, it has a lot to do with us. Because then Jesus died to bear God's wrath, his anger over sin, to bear the weight of our betrayal of God. You see how this connects with this? We couldn't live dependently, so God said, I will. Just like he did up there. We, we dare not bear God's wrath for our own brokenness. And so God said, I will do that for you. When we place our faith in Jesus, when we go as he calls us, all of that becomes ours. Every one of these promises, every one of these promises is based not on Abram's ability. It's based on God's ability. Not on Abram's faithfulness, but on God's faithfulness. That's what the gospel is about. It's about God's faithfulness to us. But it doesn't stop there. He keeps going. He keeps going as, as we see this being blessed to bless. He says, I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Okay? Now here's the thing. If you've been a Christian for a while, what you probably are expecting right now is that I'm about to wrap up because that's what you do. You talk about, what, you talk about our great need, then you talk about what Jesus has done for us, and then you go, and then praise Jesus. And we're done. And we get out 20 minutes early. Um, alas. Okay. So, here's the thing. We can't stop there because that's not where God stops. We are blessed so that for the purpose of being a blessing. And this makes sense if we understand who we're made to be as people. Because the Bible teaches not only that we were made for God... But it tells us in this throwaway line in the, in, the, in the book of Leviticus of all places. In chapter 19 of the book of Leviticus of all places. But it's one that Jesus quotes later on. It says not only were we made to love God, but we were made to love our neighbor 
as ourself. We were made to be outward focused. Our lives are to be oriented towards God and others. And if you're thinking right now like, really? My life does not look like that. Join the club. Because what sin has done is it's turned us in on ourselves. Where we look out for number one. Where we focus on ourselves. Part of the work of Jesus is not just to reconcile us to God, but it's also to restore us to what we were made for. We were, we were blessed by God, reconciled to him to be agents of that blessing in the world. Now, in my house, not too long ago, we had a very serious clog in a pipe. I mean, so serious that you couldn't, Drano wasn't touching it, snakes weren't touching it. Plumber had to go and literally cut the pipe out. And he was like, this thing ain't moving. He was like sticking a screwdriver down on it, hammering it. It wasn't moving. That thing was done, right? And, and he had to remove that pipe because what the pipe was made to do, you all look at me like, what's he going to say? You guys know what a pipe was made to do. Water goes through it, right, to somewhere else. The pipe doesn't create the water. The pipes don't create water. They simply transfer it to somewhere else. And the same is true with us. God blesses us to be conduits of that blessing into the world. But unfortunately, many of us have something that's blocking that. Right? We've gotten our blessing from God and we're like, oh, this is so great. I love it. This is awesome. Praise Jesus. And we're just going to stay there and we're going to bask in it. Or, or just gaze at our navels about it. But that's not what we were made for. Maybe that blockage in you is fear. Maybe it's like fear, like I, I don't know if, I'm, if, if I could be worth anything in anyone's life. I could communicate the gospel to anyone. I could actually bless anyone. Maybe it's shame. No one really knows how poor a Christian I really am. Uh, may, maybe, it's, uh, maybe it's selfishness. I, I just don't want to. I got better things to do with my time. Look, if you've been blessed by God, we need to know that it is to be a blessing. But like I said, what conquers our fear, what conquers our shame, and to some extent what even conquers our selfishness, is that we were not made to actually produce the blessing. We're not actually to produce what is to pass through. We're simply a conduit. God does the work. We just literally show up. And that is why we talk so much here at Holy Cross about human flourishing, seeking the flourishing of our city. That's why we have these three lanes of mission into our city why we talk all the time about praying for and inviting our non-Christian friends and neighbors to church and why we understand our mission as trying to help people encounter Jesus, know Jesus, and show Jesus. God sends us into the world so that we can be a blessing to the world, not just to hoard his blessings to ourselves. And that leads us right into verse 3. So look there. He says, I'm going to bless those that bless you. It says that him who dishonors you, I'm going to curse, and in, in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. All right, so I want to focus on that last part to give context to the first. God is telling Abram that the context of his mission is worldwide. Now, if you've been a Christian here for a while, uh, you know, maybe not here, but if you've been a Christian for a while, you may be aware that, that the church is rather confused on this particular thing. We seem to think God working in the life of Abram was simply to call out this small group of people who would then get a small parcel of land in a dust bowl 
Um, But that is not, Paul literally says that the promise to Abraham was for the world, not for a strip of contested land between a sea and and a mountain range, okay? It was for the world. God is telling Abram here that his mission will be the same as God's. It is worldwide. Again, in the previous two chapters, Genesis 10, Genesis 11, what we get is this list of families, list of nations that God says, that is literally like, here are the descendants of all the world. And it kind of lists them out. Boom, 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 boom. And it's like, this is everybody. It is not um, strange, not coincidental, that God now says to Abram, in you, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. What he's saying is that through you, through the, what I am sending you and after you, your children, your people, and as, as we just heard in Galatians, all that are of the faith of Abraham, what I'm sending them to do will reach the ends of the earth. God's telling the blessing is meant not for you, not for your particular bloodline. It is to extend to all families. So taking this in, what this means for us as Christians, okay, if you're not a Christian, you can check out on this. I'll give you permission. But if you're a Christian, what this means is that our mission is to everyone. To everyone. Not just those that we deem most likely to receive. (laughs) Right? Uh, That person looks close. Not so much. Okay, so I'm going to go to them. That's not what this means. It means everyone and anyone. Because all means all. All means all. Not a few. Now, listen, some of us here, I know, I know because we've had this conversation. Some of us here right now are thinking, why do I have to do this? Why can't God just come into the lives of people individually, the way he did with Abraham here individually, and just solve everything that way? That would be the case if we were made for individualism. And in the Western world, in Western culture, we think we were. (laughs) It's a shame. We really aren't. We were made for community. We were made for others. And so we are blessed to be a blessing. And that blessing is meant to extend to every type of person. Now, I know this irks some of us. I know that the idea of seeking to help others encounter Jesus is bothersome for some of us. Maybe even for most of us. Because for some of us, it's, it's bothersome because of fear. It's bothersome because of fear because, uh, because we, we're afraid of what people are going to think of us. We're afraid that we're not going to have the right words to say, as if somehow it's up to us to get people to follow Jesus. Uh, Some of it's fear because we're just going to look silly. Others of us, though, we have been so evangelized by our culture that we do not believe it's right to evangelize. What I mean is that some of us, uh, you know, some of us even hate Christianity because of this notion. But look, everyone evangelizes for their perspective. Everyone evangelizes for their worldview. Asking Christians to not evangelize because there's no religious truth is actually evangelizing Christians to a religious truth that you hold. It's no different. But let me take this from another angle. Did you notice the context in which God promises all of these blessings to Abram? It's as he goes. Go, and I'm going to do all these things. Go, and this will happen. Do you know why some of us haven't had an experience of God's presence and power in our lives for a long time? It's because we're not going. 
that is not a legalism. Listen to me. This, remember, this, this, the entire way that we look at the Bible here in this church is about relationship. But if the person you're trying to have a relationship with is out there and you're sitting here, how are you going to have a relationship with them? God is on mission, and we're going to see this over and over and over again in, in several weeks when we hit Jesus, and he's talking about the Great Commission, saying, go and make disciples of all nations. And at the end of it, he says, and I will be with you always. The promise to be with us comes after the go. Because he is out there. He is gone. He has gotten out. God has gotten out, and he's going and doing what he's asking us to do. God is on mission. And if you want to be where he is, then you have to get out. You have to. You have to get out of your comfort zone. You have to get out of your fear of approval. You have to get out of your fears of inadequacy. Yes, trust me. I know that you aren't that good, about, uh, good at talking to people about Jesus. Neither am I. But God said to Abram, Go, and I will Not go and then figure this out and I'll bless it when you figure it out. Go and I will. That's the way this works. And so I've said this before. I'm going to say it again. If you don't feel like you can share the gospel with someone, come and ask. I would be more than willing to walk you through a, a simple way to do it. In the meantime, I've always made this promise. Just invite your non Christian friends, neighbors here. I'll do it. And then you can just follow up. Real simple. Okay? We'll just. You just bring them here, they'll hear something, you can go, that dude was crazy, right? What was he talking about? What do you think of that? I know that you are afraid of what others will think of you. But listen, here's where the gospel comes in. We are on mission because the God of the universe has blessed us. The God of the universe has welcomed us into his family. We didn't do anything to get it. We can't do anything to lose it. We can risk much for Jesus because we've been given all by Jesus. And this is why we are so set on multiplying disciples, groups, and congregations here at Holy Cross. That's why, in, hopefully, in just a couple of weeks, we're going to talk about, uh, at a dinner, talk about how we're calling some of you in this room, hopefully, to join us in starting something new somewhere else. Uh, Because God has called us to go with him on mission. He has promised to go with us. And he's called to bless us. He's, He's promised to bless us so that we might be a blessing. And so this whole summer, what we're going to be asking is that you come join us as we join him. Would you pray with me? Father, it is amazing grace. It is amazing grace that you come into the lives of people who want nothing to do with you and you turn our hearts so that not only do we want something to do with you, but that we love you. We love because you first loved us. And there's not a person in this room right now, myself included, who doesn't just become really comfortable in that, not wanting to let themselves be a conduit for that to others. Lord, I pray that you would work the gospel into our hearts that we'd be willing to risk much because you've given us all. Help us risk little things like our reputation, like our comfort, like uh, 
maybe even some relationships because of what you have given us. And you have given us everything. More than any of those things could ever give. And so, Lord, would you, would you free us? Would you free us through the gospel to be conduits of your blessing in the world by helping others encounter you, know you, and show you? We ask in Christ's name. Amen.